Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Looking for a fun way to win up to 25 times your money this basketball season? Test your skills on Prize Picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projected stats, and place your entry. You could turn $10 into $250. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com/fan and use code FAN. That's code FAN at prizepicks.com/fan. Must be present in certain states. Visit prizepicks.com for restrictions and details. Yeah, well, representation is very, very much um, helpful. The Jacksons got in the Easter Talent Show and they won. The recording studio was right on our block. So anytime we'd hear guitars cranking up or the drums starting, we knew we were about to get some free entertainment and everyone would go out and play hopscotch, double dutch to the the live music on, on the block. I ended up in the studio with Marshall just to come and sing some backing vocals. Uh, I remember they wanted her to sing another song. We were in New York or in the mean streets or something. I was like, okay, they want you to sing another song. Isn't that great? The encore is like $5,000. Me and Shaka. Shaka, I I love her to bits. Oh my, I'm about to cry. Girl, you got me crying. She could see what I was going through because she'd been through it. She was like, you know what? Do this. You know what? Do that. You know what? Don't trust this. Don't trust that. Don't trust them. Don't trust them. I love doing the live shows. I love working with my band. I love being a heritage artist. I love being a legacy artist or whatever. But me, I like glitter, baby. (laughs) Well, Kim Mazel, what a pleasure. This is such a weird moment for me to do this interview because I've just been told by the police that they found a World War II bomb in the area where I live and they might empty all the flats, but I'm gonna stay here because if this is the last hour on earth, then I'm with the right person to spend Oh it. my God, a World War II bomb in the area. <laughs> well, it hasn't detonated since then. So I think yeah. you're I think you're safe. It's it's not gonna go off. Yeah, no, I think I'm safe as well. 
Um, anyhow, I just want to say, I mean, we know each other. We know each other from MTV when I interviewed you a few times back then. Um, we actually spent an evening in New York on Christopher Street and we went, you can't remember this. See, I've got a really good memory. We can't remember this, but we went to a, a gay bar where some drag queens were singing and you from the audience blew them off stage with your voice, which I never forget because I was just sit, standing there thinking, bloody hell, what amazing. You know? Wow. Uh, you sang at my birthday party in Greece in as well. Greece, yeah, yeah. We, had the, we had the motorcycles, uh, me and uh, D. Camilla, Army of Lovers. Yeah, um, yeah we came. We came in on backs of uh, Harley Davidsons. That's right. Yeah, and so that was really good. And then we had a wild night with La Camilla in Sweden, but uh, I won't talk about that too much. And I can't and... even remember that either. <laughs> it must have been really good. I tell people, I don't remember the 90s, so don't <laughs> hold me accountable. I Bits and pieces, but which proves I was there. <laughs> And I remember also we went to Shoom together, didn't we? Danny Rampling's club. Actually, happy, right. happy Shoom. Yeah. Those were the days of all of that. Christopher Street, though, was amazing. They had some of the best drag queens ever, really, back in the day. And they were really performers. And they taught me how to do my makeup. I used to love to go to New York to see drag shows. Um, yeah. Oh, brilliant. Well, listen, I obviously want to take you back to your childhood because they are the formative years of anyone. But can you tell me really what sort of family you were brought up in? What sort of music were you were surrounded by as a child? Well, um, an African-American family, middle-class, working mom, working dad. My mom had her own business. Um, my dad was a local community leader and he worked. Um, with the community and, you know, um, music. My dad loved uh, Curtis Mayfield and like the impressions and he loved Arthur Prysock and he loved um, the smooth singers. He loved uh, Dinah Washington, um, jazz, um, conscious music too he liked that kind of stuff but yeah, so anyhow you're brought up in this household and there you are inside of you you've got this almighty voice you know this incredible voice when was the moment for you when your family as a child because often you know ch children sing for their parents and so on and so forth when was the moment that they sort of stood back and went wow i i, I think when i was at wembley <laughs> How'd you get here? Kimberly, how did you get here? You know, it's like uh, all those times of you telling me to go do my homework and I snuck out the window to go do something else. <laughs> but, um, you know, I think when I was a kid, they kind of recognized I had a voice for singing, but you must understand growing up in the, in America and growing up, you know, near the Baptist church and all that, everybody could sing. It wasn't, my dad sang, my mother could not sing though. She could not carry a tune in a bucket. She she just could not. But um, yeah, so I, I, I definitely would think it would be like in my later years because I kept persisting, you know, so much. Even growing up as a teen and being in some 
talent shows and winning. I don't, my dad always did recognize my mom. She was more practical. Go to university, get a you know proper job, da, 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 da. But my dad, as he was artistic, as he, you know, worked for um, in civil rights and, and community rights, and he worked with young boxers, he had a artistic side. I think he saw it quicker and he would groom me more than my mom. And my mom would come along for the ride, of course. And um, she made clothes. So she, I, a lot of clothes that uh, she would sew and stuff I would wear for um, talent shows, actually. They weren't per se, again, I had to be clever with my mom because she's very practical. So I asked her to make me something for maybe to sing in school. Not that I was going to a club to wear it and sing in a club. So I was very, you know, and I might put some glitter on it or roll it up a little shorter when I got in the club. But I was like, oh, mom, we have a talent show. I need a little outfit. But um, but yeah, so yeah, I had a great, great childhood coming up in Gary, Indiana. I, I, I loved it. We had all kind of music everywhere. Clubs were everywhere. You know, in any given weekend, uh, Dinah Ross and the Supremes, Gladys Knight uh, would be in Gary at one of the local clubs, the blues artist Bobby Blue Bland or B.B. King would be on one of the avenues. Um, I was like five years old, but <laughs> but I knew, you know, the Jackson Five, they were from the from the neighborhood and from the block. So we remember the uh, Easter talent show, which was a very big talent show in Gary, Indiana. You had to be the best of the best to get in it. And I remember the Jacksons got in the Easter talent show and they won, of course, the talent show. I, I don't think I was able to go because I was a little bit too young still. I was younger than Michael, but I remember on the radio show because they had it broadcast live on the little AM radio, local radio. Back then, local radio meant a lot. You know, local, as you know, and pirate radios in London meant a lot. It shaped a lot of artists' life and career. Like in Gary or Chicago, local artists, local musicians would go on local radio, local television, and build their career from there before they would go to New York or LA and become national. So those things were very, very helpful, you know, in our community and seeing and hearing, you know, the Jacksons on the radio was like, you know, amazing. It just really kind of sparked me to go like, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do something like that. <laughs> Didn't they have a studio about two doors down from you? They had the recording studio. Yes, that's right. The recording studio was right on our block. So anytime we'd hear guitars cranking up or the drums starting, we knew we were about to get some free entertainment and everyone would go out and play hopscotch, double dutch, to the to the live music on on the block, yeah, it was very amazing. Yeah, I mean, as a African American and part of what was and what still is really, it's a sort of marginalized community. Um, how important was it for you to have these African American icons around you, to, someone who could say to you, in a sense, just from being there, this is what you can achieve. This is what you can do with your life. Yeah, well, representation is very, very much um, helpful. I mean, and even like just in, even with your neighbors and even just seeing the mayor of our town was African-American, even my mom, you know, she had her own business. So you knew you could 
have a small business. Um, my dad, the neighbors, our community was really rich with talent. So it wasn't really being in America during that time, the late sixties, after the struggle with, you know, Martin Luther King had gone through for voting rights and equal, you know, rights, which, you know, uh, we didn't get everything, but, you know, just watching all of that, we knew, as Jesse Jackson said, I might be purple, I might be whatever, but I am somebody. We knew that we were somebody, you know? So, you know, things weren't like totally blown up, like um, to like, if you're not a superstar, you're not successful. You knew that if you had your own small business somewhere, or if you had a craft that you had achieved, whether it was a plumber who was very good and made a business out of it. And the next thing he had one van or one, you know, it full of his stuff to owning a building or owning, you know, having an office. So we knew that everything glittery wasn't always the goal to go for. But me, I like glitter, baby. <laughs> what did your parents want you to do? Because I know that you went to university and you studied, I think you studied law, didn't you? Entertainment law or something. I so, took entertainment law. I studied opera. Ah, right. Okay. I so, studied I studied opera like that first year. I was kind of all over the place. It's kind of like um another thing about America, it's not really common where people get a gap year. Whereas over here you get a gap year, you go travel, you figure your life out, whatever, and then you go do an apprenticeship and you get right, you get on with it. Over there, it's a bit four-year university. One year, you bunk off school trying to find yourself or whatever. So for me, I was like studying. I knew I wanted to do music. And I knew that my mom was practical and saying, get an education. So I was trying to find the clever way <laughs> to do, you know, to do both. So I, I was like, oh, music education, um, dot, 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 and all of these different classes would come with it, like studying opera at one of the schools, studying music education, studying um, music a theory, studying where you can use music to help people with mental health illness. I did all of that. I just took a class, you know, and then finally I found Columbia College, which was kind of like a lot of these schools now, like point blank, you can go as an artist and study. This was in the 80s. And Columbia was one of the best schools. You had entertainment law. You had events, how to put on events. You had on how to promote concerts, how to do radio, how to speak in front of a television camera. All of this, this was in 82. I didn't want to age myself, darling, but this was like <laughs> in 1981, 82. So, um, so and, and then you would practice, you know, recording. So I learned how to record. And, and then for my final senior project, we put together like a, a record. I put together a record label and pressed so many copies. And that's what ended up in the UK. Early, early, early house music. But okay, just going back to the opera part, because I just wondered uh, if the techniques of opera um, actually really helped you or, or affected the way that you sing, that you actually took something from that? Yeah, I think I did actually, because even though it was a segue, okay, mom said do something, tick this, you know, even though it was a segue, I learned a, a, another discipline. 
I learned the discipline of diaphragm singing. I learned the discipline of hydrating and water and resting your voice. I learned the discipline of head voice and chest voice and nasal voice and 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 ad lib and different and then language. So pronunciation of of words were things that kind of you know just went in. You're not play, paying a lot of attention to it because. I wasn't really thinking about going into the opera, although I did love Jesse Norman. I loved Grace Brumbry. I love, love Leotine Price. I was like, these are black women in the opera that are like <laughs> everywhere singing in the gowns and just bold. I was like, I could do that. <laughs> I mean, you were clearly a sponge university like taking everything in that you could possibly take in and I know that you did a number of internships can you tell me what things that, that you did that were really of fascinating interest oh my god what didn't I do I did like every internship that came up on the board at school if they put it on the wall I went and did it I I did um what do you what do you call a uh, PR press work for um, DJ International Records with, with um, oh, this is going back so far that I can't, uh, Rocky Jones, he was the president. He was the first house label, um, because you must remember, this is like the birth of house. This is before even house was, house was getting housed. So I was able to come in early on that. And from that, you know, I went out with some of the artists as a, as a press secretary and the uh, personal assistant. Uh, for Lolita Holloway. That was an experience, baby. wasn't it? That was a hell of an experience, baby. Lolita Holloway, she took a shining to me, but she still cussed me out. But she took a liking to me. And she said, come on, baby, come on here with me. Watch this and watch that. And uh, I remember they wanted her to sing another song. We were in New York or in the mean streets or something. And I was like, okay, they want you to sing another song. Isn't that great? The encore, she was like, $5,000. I was like, I go tell them five thousand more dollars, and I'll sing another song and get the money up front. And I'm like, I'm still in college. I'm just doing an internship. She looked at me and don't come back here empty-handed, Steve. I walked in that room in New York. I said she'd go back on. She said five thousand dollars, and they looked at me and they didn't really blink too hard and gave me a stack of money. I took it, gave it to her, and. She said, I know it's all there. And I said, I don't know. This is what they gave me. If it ain't, it ain't my problem. But, uh, <laughs> and she went on and sang Love Sensation for about another hour. <laughs> oh, wow. She knew what, it, she knew how to do it. Then. It was amazing. And this was at the uh, uh, Paradise Garage. So the place was packed, you know, with people. And I, you know, I didn't really realize at the time how historic Lolita is was iconic I, I i just knew she was mean and i had better do what she said and then she she you know what i mean and then rocky jones sent me on a plane with her and daryl and sean and um but that night in the paradise garage and larry levan and the D, all of that i came in at the like at the tail end but i got to be there and i got to see it and i even got a chance to perform when i did my first record taste my love so I got a chance to, and, and I'm a lover. So I got it. This is before London, before I ever went to the UK. But the, this, and I got this, paid $5,000 too. 
I was like, who, where's who, my $5,000? <laughs> who did you get to go and pick that up? Did you? Yes, I did, because Lolita told me, put your money, wear a girdle, put your money in your girdle when you and have it on you when you go on stage. So, yeah. Oh, brilliant, brilliant. But when you actually were, you know, with Lolita at that point, and that was, you know, before um, you'd, you'd had your own single out and you performed, did you ever, did you imagine that you would be on stage? Was that something that was really within you at that point? Or... Oh, yeah. Oh, right. Okay. So when did that come? I always knew it from a little kid. I always knew I was going to be on stage. That was something I, I, I always knew I was going to, I guess probably it solidified itself when Michael Jackson left the block and went into the television. That's when it solidified itself when 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 the Jacksons left Gary Indiana and they went into the TV on the Ed Sullivan show. That was people that I had seen, heard from my area that ended up in the TV. <laughs> that was my thought of it. You can go from here into the TV. He went from there into there. I could do it too. Now, what the steps were gonna be or any of that. I kind of got an inkling of, I, I guess maybe when I was about nine or 10, watching um, Ike and Tina Turner. They were in Europe, in London, in the UK. And something planted itself in me that I would be in London and that's where I would start from a, from a child. When I didn't even know what London was. Well, that's amazing. Where do you think, it's really funny because I've talked to so many artists over the years and 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 looked actually into the childhood of many artists and often their drive comes from some childhood wound doesn't have to be big in any way but often it comes from something and myself that my father didn't have much interest in me didn't want a third child and actually he ignored me for for the first years of my life according to my mum and for me I think I wanted to get attention or I wanted to get love somewhere else to compensate what I didn't get from my father. Have you ever looked back and thought, where did I get that drive from? I No, actually, I mean, I saw that my parents were driven and I saw that my community was driven and perhaps it was just probably from being a black girl growing up in America, because all of us were treated the same way and ignored. You know what I mean? It's like your hair is not right. This isn't right about you. Oh, you speak up too much. Oh, um, you know, just so many things from from classroom. And then, you know, I was bused to an all white school when I was eight years old. So, you know, the 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 story of Ruby Bridges, I was like, Ruby Bridges did it like five years before I did, and she had to have the National Guards take her to the white school to integrate. So with me, it was um it was really a trip actually having that happen because it wasn't so much, again, the children. It was the adults that did not want us there and made it very clear. Like, you know, if I, I was brought up with, with Black pride, I understood Black leadership. I understood this and that. Like I said, the mayor of my town was was African-American. The, the, the fire chief, all of the postmen in the past, everybody I grew up in, in Africa might as well have been in Chocolate City in America. And then I was put in this place where it was being integrated in the 60s. And the teachers didn't like my response to certain things in the classroom. 
uh, and just really wanted to change my ideal attitude or pride of myself to lower me. That's what it was. They thought I was a little bit too high in having self-awareness. So if I said, um, say they're trying to tell me that Columbus discovered America. And as this little black child, I'm like, when he discovered it, it was already people there. <laughs> so he discovered land that already existed from some, and those may not have been my words, but I would have had something like that to say because I was taught at home other things. So instead of them looking at a child, just raising her hand saying, um, miss, um, my mom or my dad or, or the other school said that they became angry with me. I even had an incident with one of the teachers. I was like, I don't know, seven years old, took me to the principal's office because she was trying to make me say something else. And I was like, no, no, that's not true. Or I don't know. She took me to the office instead of pulling my ear, she put her nails into my arm until I bled. I'll never forget it. I was a kid. So maybe, you know, something like this instilled like um, a pride in me or something that, you know, I am somebody as Jesse Jackson used to say. And just because I'm black or brown or whatever doesn't mean that I'm not just as good as, as anyone else. I can just deserve a shot. I deserve to earn a living. I deserve to, and I, and I stayed in that path. Like you said, with your dad ignoring you, you felt I'm going to push through, I'm going to push through and I'm going to, you know, make something out of my life, regardless of this teacher or this school or this system saying I cannot. Now, one of the internships you did was for the American shock jock what I call him, basically, there was a, a radio presenter that you worked for. And wasn't he the one that was organized this disco demolition derby? Disco, so oh, Steve Dow. How do you remember mm. all of this? Well, I'm, no, I do the research. <laughs> I can't remember everything. Yeah, yeah, Steve Dow. Yeah, that was another internship. Oh, my God. Disco sucks, yeah. Now, I... I mean, just to say who he is, because he was basically incredibly anti-disco and anti-gay, wasn't he? Because Absolutely. It, it was, you know, disco was the... It was community. synonymous with gay. Yeah. Disco and it was synonymous with gay club, Studio 54, gay, whatever. And um, Steve Dahl, I don't know if he's still alive or what, but Steve Dahl started this... Um, to blow up the records. And part of it was industry a little bit as well too, because they were bringing in rock and roll. This was the seventies. I was not working with Steve Dahl in the seventies. I was a teenager people. I went later, but, <laughs> but I do remember the whole thing. It was at Kaminsky park or one of the soldiers fields, one of the big stadiums where they took all the disco records and blew them up. And they did it. They ended up doing it across the country to sort of, um, I guess, get rid of the music, get rid of the club scene. And all of those people who made fabulous records from the Ritchie family to Sheik, to Donna Summer, to Odyssey, all were out of work. I mean, he basically put a whole level of, of brilliant artists and brilliant music out of work for, until house music came, because house is the, is the child of disco. 
Exactly. I mean, that's what I want to get to, because she mentioned Taste My Love and performing that where Lolita Holloway had uh, performed. So for you, how did that actually come about? Because I know that Chicago is really the nearest, biggest city to Gary, isn't it? It's not. Yeah, it's yeah, not we're 20 away. minutes. We're 20 minutes away. That's where I was at university. Ah, okay. That's where I was at school and I lived in the dormitory. I lived in the dorm. And um, this broken beat stuff was, um, you know, being played. And I went to one of the clubs or something. I don't know. And it, it didn't really have vocals. And it wasn't really, I didn't even know what it was. But people were dancing. I was like, okay, you know. And like doing interns and stuff like that. You start hearing about the music and the club. So I'm young. I'm hanging out. I'm trying to find my path and doing music. And then... Um, I met uh, Dwayne Powell, who ended up being my business partner. He was uh, from the Bahamas, um, but his parents, he grew up in, in, in America, African-American, Bahamian-American, whatever. He was doing law, and he was like one of the first lawyers trying to get some of the artists, or who were going to be artists, because we weren't even artists yet. This is pre-pre um, house, house you know, being the whole genre, it was on the precipice. They were just starting to go into London. And I met him. He introduced me to Marshall Jefferson. And Marshall Jefferson was doing a record. I was, at, I think, at the end of studying at the university, I had to do a project. My project was to record and make my own label, record label, whatever. So all of it kind of worked. I ended up in a studio with Marshall just to come and sing some backing vocals on this song. The girl, the lead singer, Marshall didn't particularly care for her voice. He was like, well, Kim just sang all these background vocals. It took her five minutes. Let's just take this girl off and put Kim on the song. So you went like that, did you? So no, not really. <laughs> this was going on while I was sitting behind the big screen. You know, in the studios, you got the, so I didn't know what the conversation was. I just see people move. I said, oh, maybe they didn't like my backing vocals. Maybe maybe I overpowered the singer too much and I need to, you know, come back a bit, you know. And then he came in, he said, you know, da, 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 da. we want you to sing the lead. And I was like, okay. And then next thing I see the girl looking at me like, you know, she was giving me the face. And uh, yeah, so I just ended up putting the vocals on that. And then we ended up putting it on my label which was a label me, Dwayne, and Donnie put together called um, Police, Police Records, Records yeah. which I used for my uh, senior project, you know, at, at university. It was my thesis or whatever. So we pressed about 2,000 copies and went and started doing the clubs locally, selling it out the, you know, boot of your car and the DJs or whatever pirate radio people we didn't know that it was pirate then either. They ended up bringing the stuff back to the UK, put it on Kiss FM, which was a pirate then, and whatever other pirate there was, there was some places in Manchester, um, got a hold of it. And yeah, but I ended up in New York because it was a big song in the club scene. You know, at this point, everything was underground. You know, all of this, everything I'm talking about, is the underground movement. We may not have understood it to be that, but that's what it was. Even MTV, uh, during the time when you came in, 
was a bit underground, you know, MTV Europe and all of that. So we birthed the cool. <laughs> we rebirthed the club, you know, and the raves and, and all of that through this um, house music. And um, there was this other club music coming out of uh, Jamaica, which they call Dance Hall, that Kiss used to play as well. So it was like between Chicago Dance and Jamaican Dance Hall early kiss when I first went there, when Trevor was a young DJ and he, I remember he used to bring me tea, you know, he'd bring me my cup of tea and uh, Trouble Anderson, Paul was there, rest in peace. I love that boy so much, oh my God. So it was like all underground and we were doing the clubs only in New York, you know, we go to New York, maybe a few little clubs in Chicago, but New York is where you went and you got paid. What did you make of New York at that point? Oh, it was everything, Charlie. <laughs> oh my God. New York. New York was everything. So was Chicago, but New York, oh, it was everything. I mean, you could just, oh, you oh my gosh. And just the the community of dance music, of um, you know, the the Black and Puerto Rican gay boys in the club, you know, B-boys or whatever they were calling themselves. Just all of that. That was everything. It was everything to me. And um, and we just loved each other and pushed each other and vibed. And somebody would tear some fabric and say, girl, you need to be wearing this and fix your hair and do your makeup. And it was just it was free. It wasn't nonsense and it wasn't all crazy like it is today. It's a bit shady now. It's too shady for me. Looking for a fun way to win up to 25 times your money this basketball season? Test your skills on Prize Picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projected stats, and place your entry. You could turn $10 into $250. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com/fan and use code FAN. That's code FAN at prizepicks.com slash FAN. Must be present in certain states. Visit prizepicks.com for restrictions and details. At Sleep Outfitters Outlet, great sleep is a big deal. Save 40 to 60% every day on every Sealy, Stearns & Foster, and Tempur-Pedic. Queens as low as $249. Customer exchanges, closeouts, and floor samples. Inventory changes daily, so come in for your dream deal today. With no credit needed financing, expert advice, and up to 60% off retail, it's never been easier to get the sleep and savings you deserve. Go to sleepoutfittersoutlet.com for financing details and to find a store near you. When you save on auto insurance for driving safe with USAA SafePilot, you'll feel like a big deal. Even in a traffic jam. Save up to 30% with USAA SafePilot. Restrictions apply. So do you do you remember the point where you I mean, I, I presume someone said to you, OK, well, you need to come to London. We need to go to London. What, what happened? No, no, no. I took myself to London because remember, as a kid, I got the vision that I had to go to London. So the opportunity came. Um, Adonis had just come back from performing in London and he had his work permit. And it had the person's name on there who had brought him to the UK 
to perform because I was, it, it was always, I knew I was coming to the UK. I, I just knew that. I didn't know how, I didn't know when, but then I saw that. I was like, can I, Adonis, can I have his number and name? I want to call him and see if maybe, you know, because the girls weren't going, just the guys were going over to London. And was that David like, Levy? And they were like, it's okay, but they don't pay no money, you know? <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. But I was like, I'm, what I'm looking for is bigger than money. I, I'm thinking to myself. So Adonis gave me the number. I called the guy. Who was it? On the phone. The guy was David Levy, who's now yeah. the head of... of it's uh, William Morris Endeavor. William He's Morris like, and everything. So we're still friends to this day. And I called him and I said, hey, hi, David. Uh, my name is uh, Kim Mazel and and uh, I got a record call. Uh, he said, are you Kim Mazel that may taste my love or something like that? And I was like, I am. And something like, did you know your record was on the charts over here or something like that? And um, And someone else couldn't make it on the gig that he was booking, but I didn't know about that. That was his own personal thing. It was like, would you come to London? Uh, <laughs> I think before he could say London, I was screaming, going like, yes, 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 baby, yes. And I think that was like 88, 1988 when I did that call. So, um, so yeah, so I called. I it, it, Everything pushing was me pushing and connecting, pushing you know, and connecting, pushing and connecting, like just living, following the breadcrumbs, if you want to say, or the life life's breadcrumbs. <laughs> so there you are. So you come to London, you land in London and- mm, I went straight to the WAG club. I think I was at the WAG club or someplace like that. I was at these little clubs and, uh, and I think the record companies have found out that a showcase, That's it. a showcase was kind of put together. They found out I was in town. I don't even know how it happened. Maybe Dwayne put it together because he was um, co-managing me. I was managing myself and he was helping to manage me. So maybe that, you know, some of that is kind of fuzzy um, now, but I do remember um, it was myself, Marshall, Frankie Knuckles and Orange Juice Jones at one point playing at some place on Tottenham Court Road. And and it was like five or six labels there. I do remember that. How quickly did it turn from you coming to London to you having a record deal? Like that. It's amazing. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. 
Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Like, like that. I was like, okay. It, it was really like riding the wild horses. It was, next thing I know, I was in the studio at the Matrix studio, um, just near the um, British Museum. I can't remember the name of the street. I always remember the fifth step squeaked. <laughs> Ah, and um, Nigel, Nigel owned the Matrix and it was like, um, we went in there to, to demo some songs and write something for EMI, for Rob Sawyer over at EMI and um, Danny D-Mob, Danny D was in the other studio. That's when we wrote Useless and um, Got to Get You Back with CC Rogers and Marshall. We wrote two songs. And, um, and yeah, and Danny D was like, if you don't take this, I'm gonna take it. He said it to Rob, but I mean, I, I couldn't go anywhere because EMI had already put me in the studio. So basically in a way it was kind of done. I, I was basically signed to EMI then, whether I knew it or not. And then we ended up, you know, going back to America, I guess the bosses said, sign this shit right now, excuse me, sign this right now. <laughs> and um, and I became the first signing. I was the first lady, that's where the first lady of house music come from because it's literally what happened. It's not just, oh, it's a name they made up. EMI immediately like coined that phrase, um, first lady of house music, first signing of uh, house artist to a major label. Um, in England, uh, at EMI, uh, Manchester Square, second American to be signed here, EMI, Manchester Square. I was like, well, who was the first? Jimi Hendrix. Oh, my God. <laughs> That's what I said. And all of this phenomenal stuff just kept happening. And I was like, you know it was like almost all too much. Cause at the same time being on the label and recording, going back and forth from New York to London, to Chicago, to LA, to Atlanta, just getting music together. People start to see you. So the next thing, you know, I'm like uh, getting called from Mick Jagger or, or, or having lunch with princess Diana for help a London child or at, you know, smash hits. Remember smash hits used to do those really big um, events like at Wembley, they would be at Wembley actually. Uh, you know, uh, TV shows, um, just all the, and then flying back to America. My daughter was like, I had to get her in stable school. So she would stay with her dad and, and go to school during the school year, then come with me in the summer on tour. It, it was then soul to soul. I ended up, I was still signed to EMI. I ended up writing Missing You with Jazzy. The next thing you know, I'm the lead singer for Soul to Soul because Karen left, blah, blah, blah. And it just kept going on and on. Next thing you know, I'm in Greece with you, um, walking up the Macropolis and blah, blah, blah. And then, you know, the changing of the garden, all of this stuff and blah. It was just a lot. Just before we get to all that, the, when you signed the contract, who was the first person you called? I 
can't even remember. No, I just wondered what, you know, because you know when something amazing happens in yeah, your life. Yeah, I don't remember. I, I'm sure it was my family. It, I'm sure it was my family. I had just lost my dad, which nobody knows. Uh, I don't really even talk about it. I had to displace it and put it somewhere else because it was traumatizing. And um, two weeks before I was supposed to come and do that showcase, I lost my dad in the most horrific way. And I was like, not coming. And I remember my mom got Dwayne to take me off of the bed. He said, she got to go. This was her destiny, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, I came. So I wasn't able to call my dad because he would have been the first person because he rode with me the whole way. So I'm sure it was my mom, my sisters, you know, Dwayne was with me. So he would have known he was there with me. I still have the picture of when I signed the contract. I have never posted it on social media because one day I'll probably write this book or finish this book and I'll put it in there. But I still have a photograph of all the label heads around me, this glass of champagne, the bottle of champagne, little glass, me with the ink pen from 1988. Yeah, and it was just, it was amazing. I think I called one of my teachers too because I was like, it happened, you know, it happened. And then, you know, I went back to Chicago and then just everybody in early house music. I think I put everybody on my record. I gave everybody a job, everybody. Yeah, it was like, okay, you helped me do this or you believed in me to do that or you just winked at me or whatever. I was like, house music is on a major label now, y'all. You know, we're on a major label. We're not just underground. And I just was like, everybody the on the record, thanks to dot, 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 dot. And it just kept going on and on and on. And um, yeah, it, it was quite mind-blowing and surreal. And I didn't understand England because it was a totally different country. Everything was quite odd, too, except for in the bubble of the mu of music people. Because music people are mostly international. But anytime I had to step outside of that where it was in England, I I was like, oh, this is, I want to take me back in the bubble because this is weird. Um, <laughs> I don't understand what they're saying. I don't understand what they mean. I don't want to get in no trouble because <laughs> where I'm from, um, you get hit in the face for saying that. So I was like, oh gosh, you know. Uh, so I was just like, put me back, put me back over there so I can, you know, but I mean, what, it, it, was, it was amazing. I mean, what's amazing is, and what's very, I mean, okay, I've dealt with fame on a very low level and found it quite difficult. There's you, you come to England, you know, your father's just died, then you're put into this new world and then you achieve success and atten you get attention, it changes. How did you deal with fame at that period or were you just on some sort of hamster wheel hamster wheel <laughs> uh definitely a hamster wheel i call them wild horses it's like definitely right now wild horses and then the next thing you know i live with shaka khan you know i moved in with shaka <laughs> it's like who does that you know I, i'm shaka khan, shaka, 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 shaka. i'm her roommate <laughs> like what and everybody in the in in the industry the good and great always came through her flat when they were in town, da da da. Sometimes I'm cooking food for Greg Fillingains, Nathan East, uh, you know, different people, Luther, whoever. Um, for me, um, I couldn't assess it. I couldn't, 
you know, understand a, a, a lot of what was going on. I, some of it, I just thought it was because of my American accent, you know, that people were kind to me or wanting to get to know me. I was American or different or stuff like that. Um, and then, and then sometime, um, I didn't want to go to places either because it would be too many people. I didn't, I didn't not like people, but I didn't like to be around a lot of strangers because people, your energy, what you draw, you can start drawing things that you are, have no idea who they are, as I'm sure you know. You, you could have no idea who they are. No matter they could be a, a star themselves or they could be a groupie of one of the stars in the room or something, you know? So I found, I, I, I got very like this actually, you know? And then at the same time, you have to be like this. You know, even like now I'm very, in, I'm very introverted. I guess I'm an introvert, extrovert. I, I can, I didn't need the COVID lockdown. I was on lockdown anyway. <laughs> I was like, I've been on lockdown for 20, 30 years, you know? <laughs> oh dear. But then, you know, I, you know, I knew you in that period where you were uh, really having um, a lot of success and things were um, working very well and I totally understand what you say because I did also feel um, I think I'm a bit of a loner actually and then it's a bit odd when you're in sometimes the center of attention and sometimes the person that other people want to know and you are insecure about why you know and for me being on MTV sometimes with artists would call me up and I'd think what do they want do you know what I mean instead of and I and I was much more someone who was very isolated I had you know one very very good friend and that was enough for me in a lot of, lot of ways who did you focus on was it you and Shaka at that point me and Shaka Shaka I I love her to bits oh my I'm about to cry girl you got me crying but um yeah she if anybody has been through hell in this industry she has and when I um, met her, I think she was a bit on a sabbatical, this is in hindsight, from the industry, but at the same time, the industry wanting material from her. So they would put her on a sabbatical, but they would still want her to go and record or whatever. Because you need a break in this. Like you said, it's a hamster wheel. She'd been on it since the 70s, but I confided in her a lot. And a lot of time I didn't have to because she could see what I was going through because she'd been through it. She was like, you know what? do this. You know what? Do that. You know what? Don't trust this. Don't trust that. Don't trust them. Don't trust that. Cause sometimes, you know, I'd be getting the calls or I'd be getting this or that, or people would be calling, um, for her and maybe she wasn't there and I'd answer the phone and they go, Oh, but Kim, what can you da, da, da. She was like, you're the second choice. Don't go. And sometimes they'd call us and we'd be sitting at home watching, just in our pajamas, believe it or not, watching a movie. And people go, oh, both of you are in town, da, da, da. Oh, come to this, you know, some big gala event that you need to know weeks ahead of time because you need a stylist and, you know, you got to do red carpets in the 90s were really put together as well. And she was like, we were there second thought, Kim. I'm not going and neither are you. And I was like, okay. And we... I, but certain things you learn about 
motives about motives and and that some of it is business and some of you have to do anyway even though it's shit you still have to do it you know anyway because it's part of the promotion or it's part of this is part of your own brand so you have to just suck it up and go ahead and do it and hopefully it'll turn out all right for you but how did you and i always feel this is really important because how did you protect yourself by not letting everything of yourself out there do you know like everyone wants to know everything especially when you're interviewed like i do you know i'm like digging 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 and yeah. everyone wants to know everything and everyone wants a piece of you how how did you protect yourself I remember interviewing Madonna and Madonna I said I asked her a question and she said oh let me think what would Madonna say she said what would Madonna say yeah and I then I realized it. she was thinking of herself as as another person in a way to, two. yeah so have, is that what or you in do? three <laughs> Or in five, <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think I think the sunlight is on me now from the window coming, but it's okay. No, no, I think it's gone. Bringing it, it's like bringing the light on you. <laughs> All right. Oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take that. But yeah, you know, just protecting yourself from, you know, letting certain things out or certain people in around you when certain things are happening because you know people might see stuff and start talking um i i really kept myself private really um and yeah and i do remember one time this guy was around me a lot and i was going through a lot of stuff and he was he was a nice guy and he he used to be around me like through some of my bad times even though i was in my high time of fame I was going through stuff behind the curtain or whatever, whatever, just trying to figure out stuff here, being stuck here, not knowing what to do with dead time. Cause it was a lot of dead time. The record company just, nobody called you. You were on your own to go and discover and anything you discovered could have been really bad for you. So sometime this gentleman, and I don't even know his name to this day. I can't even remember, but something that happened i don't know if it was the mick jagger stuff when i was working with mick or um i can't remember but it was quite a few things and i, I used to talk to him about it and uh, one day we went to an event and boy george pulled me to the side and said what you doing with him he works for that scumbag newspaper the mirror or one of them thingies why is why is he with you kim I was like, I didn't even know what the mirror was then either or nothing. But I must say, this guy held my confidence. He never took any story anywhere. Oh, wow. Well, that's that's unusual. That's amazing. Never, ever, ever did. And I can't remember. And he wasn't around me all the time. Maybe twice, maybe two or three times he came around me to my house in South Kensington. Oh, wow. And I don't know, I can't remember him to this day. And a matter of fact, somebody said one time he stopped a story. So I guess he was an angel or one of the good guys that maybe he liked me or maybe, I don't know, but you know, now and, and I had a way more who went and sent stuff to the press and said stuff. You know, I remember getting um, 
like sitting on TV breakfast shows and then some really rubbish, awful newspaper, like, oh, like, like him left her daughter or something, something stupid that wasn't even true on the, in the newspaper. Um, and then being on the live TV show, then presenting the headline to me on the show to see my reaction live breakfast television seven in the morning. And I'm like, what do you do? That's when I stopped like promoting stuff. I was like, okay, this is fine EMI to promote a record, but I don't trust these people. And I remember Jazzy B telling me, do not trust this press. Don't do interviews with them. Don't blah, blah, blah. They're, you don't understand England, Kim. You don't know. They'll build you up to knock you down. They'll do this to do that. Don't trust them. And I was like, and then I started later on a little bit to see, you know, some of that. But I just, I really stuck to myself. And living with Shaka, like I said, gave me a love, a great landing place. And then she was American. And everybody that would come in that space, were, we were all Americans and artists. So it was like a whole community. And then, of course, I had like Nellie Hooper, who was with Soul to Soul. Me and Nellie were really close. Jazzy. Me and Jazzy were really close. His sisters, you know, they they would help me. And then later on, I was working with Jocelyn. Jocelyn was another artist, American. You know, Jocelyn was mean too. <laughs> Woo! Jocelyn was mean too. <laughs> Woo, baby, she was not easy. Woo, baby, she was not easy. But I could understand. I had not been burnt by the industry like how this woman was burnt. I mean, that record she did with Jelly Bean uh, Benitez, they stole three samples of her voice from that. I got the power, the one that um, Bizarre Inc. did, um, uh, Angie, Angie, whatever her name is, did, uh, sang Jocelyn's Hook, and Moby. All three of those hooks came from one song, one woman. And I don't think at that time when I met her, she was getting one royalty. Yeah, why waste your time? You know, you're going to be my. That's a hook from Jocelyn's ad lib from the same record that I got the power came from. So three songs worth multi millions. And she's like, so I don't blame her for being mean. I was like, ooh, this woman mean. I'm scared of her. But the industry is tough. I mean, it, you know, it's a it's a bit of a horrendous place and they uh, can chew you up and throw you out. You know what I mean? Yeah, and, that and... was in one of my records. You chew me up and spit me out like a bad piece of meat. I have... <laughs> and what's up? Don't scandalize my name. Don't have me to get upset. Yeah, that was in that record. Yeah, okay. So It's awful. It could be bad, the industry. I mean, you've, to me, from reading, you know, what you do uh, online and where you are today, you've definitely seemed to have reached uh, a point where the love is really there for you today. You're, uh, and, and whether there was a period when it wasn't there, it's definitely come round again. And, and I think that's very positive. Do you, do you feel that now, that you're more respected for what you've achieved in your life today than you were when you were achieving it? I don't know. Sometimes I'm just like, you know, because 
because there's a lot of young artists that I looked out for and now I, and, and I never heard from them again. And um, I was talking to Angie Lamar about this today. Uh, you know, I was like the um, backstage mom for a lot of the young artists coming up from the Sugar Babes to Eternal to um, uh, Blue. Blue, I love every last one of them boys. All four of them are my sons. And I love them a bit. Anytime they see me, Simon Lee, any of them, any of Duncan, all of them, Anthony, they're Mama Kim, you know. They love me. I love them. You know what I'm saying? But I was like keeping my eye out for a lot of young artists. And there are a lot of them that did pay, pay it forward back to me, look out for me then and now. Um, and there, there are a lot that, you know, act like you weren't even the one to help pave a way for them to make it easier. And I don't know if that's a UK thing because in America, People will find out, even if they don't know who you are, they'll go find out who you are and go like, oh, you the one that did all the house music stuff. Oh, Mama Sita. Oh, girl, can, can you help me with this? Or uh, big up to you or kudos. Here's your flowers. That does not happen in the UK. They just carry on like they invented the wheel or, you know, blah, blah, blah. I know as time goes on, they're going to want someone to pay homage to them and it may not happen. What goes around sometimes comes around. But I think you have to withstand a lot of storms. Um, and that, and still a lot of things, you know, like I should be on or doing, I don't get the calls for from industry. You know, I, I really, really don't. It's just like, you got to knock down the door. Um, it's like, why well, do I have to knock down the door though? My record you know, stands for itself, whether it's sitting on a panel talking about something, uh, which I can talk about anything all day long. I don't need to audition to sit on a panel. Um, I And I've made enough records, worked with enough people that I really don't feel like recording anymore. If one person asks me, Kim, do you want to? I don't. I really don't because I have recorded so many songs that the record company said, this is not your... Um, brand or whatever this is not the way we want to market you great songs now um and i'm tired i have like so many demos from this and that and master's tapes i'm like they can rework this they can redo that because i think i think maybe 2017 i just said you know why am i recording you know me and my girlfriend penny ford who was it is snap me and penny we talk about it all the time. It's like, girl, I am not singing another flipping note except for my live shows. And I love doing the live shows. I love working with my band. I love being a heritage artist. I love being a legacy artist or whatever. <laughs> they have loads of shows that a lot of us are on from Tony Hadley and myself and, and um, Billy Ocean and uh, Betty Boop. Every, everybody, Snap, um, Kim Mazzell, da-da-da. And those shows are great because the people remember where they were when they were singing or when they saw you. And a lot of times, sometimes people have other artists that'll come in and sing your song or not even artists, other singers that are, you know, maybe made it sixth on, on uh, Britain's Got Talent, but here they are singing your song with somebody. I don't like that because number one, it's wrong to the fan because the fans want to see the original person that sang it. 
they do want to see you. They do want to see Kimazelle with Soul to Soul. They do. Because when you still look good for your age, and you look good, baby. I want to tell you that, Steve Blame. You look good, baby. Okay. <laughs> but that also inspires the generation that came up with you because they're the same age. They're like, fucking good. Oh, you know, it inspires people to see their contemporaries still out here, still making the effort, still representing, as we say, instead of putting a 25-year-old up there singing your song or, you know, I, and I, I really have a problem with that because there's another great group out in Germany and doing different stuff with this girl singing my song. And I really, I really don't like that. Maybe if I was dead, I wouldn't. <laughs> I'd be like, well, I'm not here. <laughs> or if they didn't, if, if the internet wasn't around and you couldn't find me, because what I found out that anytime anybody wants you, all of a sudden they can send you uh, a DM message on Instagram. It's like, so you know that people have Facebook pages and Instagram pages. So if you need me, you do know how to find me. So all of the other times when you <clears throat> are not finding me or using me, but you're using somebody else because you choose not to. So don't come up in my face saying, oh, I didn't know you were here. Well, if I ain't here, I can fucking, excuse my friends, I can get here because there are planes and people have been flying me around for forever. Well, I just want to say at the end, it's so brilliant to see you again and feel like I'm, you know, in the same room, but I'm not. But um, and what I always adored about you with your talent aside, because that's clear, is this warmth, this energy, this force of nature. And um, I always remember you as an extremely kind soul. Oh, um, and I think that's lovely. And I've had some of the most fantastic evenings of my life, even though you can't remember them. <laughs> no, I, I, mean, I remember uh, Greece a little bit. <laughs> well, I, oh, I don't know how I remember them, to be honest, because I think I was a bit wild back then. <laughs> but anyhow, I, I remember them well, and I am name-checked. I have a thank you on one of your tracks, which I loved. And I remember the day when the beloved song came out and they name checked you in that song and you were so touched and it was lovely to see because here was a star who was also touched by this recognition of your talent from another band. Wow. So Kim Mazel, I just want to say at the end, it's so lovely to see you again. It really is. And uh, we left it too long. We left it far Hello. too long. Hello. I know. Hello. I know. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> Anyhow, my darling, I'm going to go. Thank you so much. Thank you, Steve Blame. All right. Bye. Ciao. Up there is an interview I recommend. Down there is where you can find all the podcast interviews. And here is where you can connect. <laughs> Looking for a fun way to win up to 25 times your money this basketball season? Test your skills on Prize Picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projected stats, and place your entry. You could turn $10 into $250. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com/fan and use code FAN. That's code FAN at prizepicks.com/fan. 
Must be present in certain states. Visit Pricepix.com for restrictions and details. It's the most wonderful time of the year, Christmas. And what better way to get into the holiday spirit than with a minky couture blanket? Whether you're gathered around the tree with loved ones, roasting marshmallows by the fire, or just looking for a cozy way to stay warm on a chilly night, minky blankets are the perfect addition to your Christmas festivities. With a wide range of festive designs and colors, you can find the perfect blanket to match your holiday decor or gift to your loved ones. So this Christmas, make your holiday even cozier with a minky couture blanket. Head to minkycouture.com now and find your perfect blanket just in time for the holiday. Happy holidays from Mickey Couture.